Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Emma. It's uh, great to be here with you guys today. Uh, As Pastor Emma mentioned, my name is Nate, uh, and I'm going to be continuing our series on Matthew. Uh, And I want to start off by just admitting this to you guys. I am a huge nerd in like 10 different ways. Uh, Because I think there's like a lot of different kinds of nerds out there. Right, like I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a superhero movie nerd. I love my Marvel movies. Uh, David Klumfus, who leads our studio team and is here in the studio right now, is like a big basketball nerd. He's like looking at like analytics and all this different stuff for fantasy and these things, which I'm actually that kind of nerd too. I also do that with him. My wife, Emily, she's a Disney nerd. Uh, Pastor Jared's kind of a cool nerd. Like he's into stuff, like he nerds out about like cologne and uh, uh, I don't know, watches and like kind of cool stuff like that. Pastor Brandon's a cycling nerd. There's all different kinds of nerds. Uh, but one kind of nerd that I am, one thing that I just like unabashedly love and dive deeper, super deep on is hip hop. I am a rap nerd, a hip hop nerd. I am a huge dork with it. And I love this one podcast called Dissect. And Dissect is this podcast that breaks down different like hip hop and rap albums. Uh, so they have a series that breaks down a Kanye album and a Jay-Z album and some stuff from Beyonce and Frank Ocean and all these different people where it breaks down their music, their albums, their verses, verse by verse, line by line, going deep on everything they say to pull out all the different references and metaphors and themes of their work. And in a similar way, that's what we're going to be doing with the book of Matthew as we go through our Matthew series. We're going to be going verse by verse, line by line, word by word, and breaking down what's happening within this text, what's happening within this book, so that we can unpack all of the context, all of the nuance, all of the beauty of what Matthew is saying within his writing. We're going to we're going to nerd out a little bit about the Bible here. We're going to nerd out on scripture. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, so there'll be a lot of nerdy rap references in this message as well. I just want to give you a heads up, uh, starting with my title, which is genealogy, as in like gangsta, genealogy. You'll see why it's called that in a minute. Uh, my second nerdy reference is no skips, which is when you have a playlist or an album, and there's no songs that you just skip past when it comes on because they're all good, no skips. Uh, No skips is how we're going to be going through the book of Matthew. We're not going to be jumping over anything. We're not going to be skipping anything. We're going to be going through each and every part of this book to make sure that we're asking the hard questions, we're faithfully interpreting the, the text, and we're getting all of the beauty out of it. See, last week you got a little bit of an introduction to this series an introduction to the book of Matthew from Pastor Brandon. This week, I'm going to be going through verses 1 to 17. Then we're going to be going into a child again, like a totally different series next week. And then back around Christmas time, we'll be picking the book of Matthew back up in verse 18 with the birth of Jesus, uh, which will be beautiful. But today we're going through Matthew 1 to 17. And I want to kick us off by reading through this passage. It says, The book of 
of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jotham. No, wait. Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. All right, there we go. We're back on track. And Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father... I need like some water. Oh my gosh. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself in your word, Lord God, the ways that you express yourself through this spirit-filled book, the spirit-filled text, Lord God. I just pray right now that as we dig into the words of Matthew, inspired by you, Lord God, that we would just be able to, to see and have revealed to us what you are saying here, Lord God, that your message, that your intent would be clear and true, and that you would use it to work on our hearts and our minds, Lord God. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, this message is called Genealogy. Genealogy. And uh, now you guys know why. Because the book of Matthew starts out with 17 verses of a genealogy, of going through the different uh, generations from all the way from Abraham leading up to Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but we might be sitting here today going, man, I know we said no skips. But really, we're just unpacking the genealogy today. That sounds kind of boring. Maybe sounds like a little dull, just like a bunch of names of dead people. But like, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? Uh, and I want to show today that Matthew is actually doing a ton of really cool stuff through this list of names, through this genealogy. It's kind of like when Jay-Z, the rapper, if you don't know, said, I'm liable to go Michael, take your pick. Jackson, Tyson, Jordan, game six. See, most of us, unless you're like completely like out of pop culture, which is okay, glad you're tuning in, uh, we know who Michael Jackson is, like entertainer who was at the top of his field, made it to the top of his field. Mike Tyson, a boxer who made it to the top of his field. Michael Jordan, the best basketball player to ever live until LeBron came along, don't at me. 
We know who these people are. It's not just a random list of names. It's actually stories that are being evoked when Jay-Z says this line. So when he says, I'm liable to go, Michael, take your pick, he's saying that, hey, I am at the top of my field. I'm embodying excellence. I'm hitting the same standard of what I'm doing as these three men hit in their fields. And he's showcasing their stories. And we're immediately connected to these narratives in a brief moment of him bringing it up. And that's actually incredibly similar to what Matthew is doing. Another great example of this is We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, where he's just like listing all this different stuff going on to make his point, And he's bringing us into all these narratives through these lists. Matthew's doing the same thing. He's using these names to call to mind stories that his audience, his original audience, the Israelites that he was writing to, would have been absolutely steeped in. See, in the time when papyrus was a lot harder to come by, we didn't have paper or Google Docs to write stuff down, it was expensive to write things, uh, what they would do is that they would actually uh, catch, the author actually catch their readers up in the Hebrew, Hebrew tradition using these genealogies. It was like a shorthand to retell the story of the Israelite people. And depending on some of the choices that the author made, they could actually highlight different elements and specific pieces of this story. And it worked because the original audience would have known these names and the beauty and baggage that was behind them. See, Matthew isn't just using this technique. He's actually giving us like an absolute masterclass in this kind of genealogical storytelling. There's like so much depth to what he's saying here. And as we go through these names, we see that he's not just like writing down just a simple record of names, but he's actually tailoring and tweaking this list in such a way that he's telling us a story. He's making points and claims about who Jesus is. He's preparing his audience for, for what's to come in the rest of this gospel account, this story of Jesus' life that he's writing for them. And so there's five main points that I want us to pull out of this text today. First, Jesus has the right family ties. Second, Jesus completes the story. Third, Jesus is king. Fourth, Jesus makes up for every mistake. And fifth, Jesus is for everybody. Jesus has the right family ties. He completes the story. He is king. He makes up for every mistake and he is for everybody. And it's important to know before we jump in, um, that this is an accurate genealogy, it's not a comprehensive genealogy. See, it's 100% accurate, it's all correct, but there's some moments where Matthew intentionally will leave out like four generations between two guys because like it's not important for the narrative, for the storytelling that he's doing in the genealogy. And that's not to trick or mislead anybody, but it's because his audience would have actually known the full genealogical records. They would have had uh, other texts and writings that would have had those displayed. They would know the records that he was working with in presenting this genealogy. Uh, and so they would be able to fill in the gaps and see by his intentional leaving out or skipping of those. Uh, he has a couple moments where he slightly changes a name to kind of like make a different point and, and reference something else. He has um, a couple like weird inclusions in here we're going to talk about. But as he's doing this, they would see through this that he's actually making a larger point, pointing to a larger truth about who Jesus is. So to start us off, Jesus has the right family ties. It opens up, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is starting off here 
with a super bold statement. This would have been a wow moment for his original audience. The Israelite people, their greatest hope was in two unconditional promises from God. The first one was made to Abraham when he said that uh, Abraham, who's the original Israelite, when, when God said that he would make him a father to a nation that would then bless all the other nations. It make him the father to a great nation that would bless all the other nations. And the second promise is to David, who was the first good king uh, of this nation, of the Israelite people that came out of Abraham. He was the first good king of these people. And there was a promise made to David that uh, his descendants would last on the throne and that there would be an eternal kingdom coming that his descendant would sit on the throne of that would last forever and ever and it would bless all the world. So Matthew is writing to the Israelite people at a time in history when they were occupied by the Romans. See, the Israelite, the Jewish people, they were occupied by the Roman Empire, and, and they, were actually, uh, uh, they were actually firmly under the heavy boot of Roman oppression. Like, Roman oppression was like pushing down on their necks. They were feeling the weight of injustice, the weight of a lack of freedom. They were actually being, being run by this foreign power, this foreign entity, and in the midst of this, Matthew is writing, and he's making this bold claim, saying that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. He's saying that Jesus is that man. He is fulfilling the promises. He is the hope. He is the anointed one. He is the one that is going to fulfill the promise uh, made to Abraham to make a great nation that will bless the world. It's going to happen through Jesus. He is the king that David was expecting, the king in David's line that was coming. He has the right credentials, the right lineage, the right family ties. See, this book was written after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. The audience to this book likely would have heard of Jesus, they would have heard some of the stories of Jesus. They had likely heard enough to be asking with skepticism, with a lot of doubt, with a lot of like, I don't want to get my hopes up. Could he be the one we've waited for? Could he be the king that we've been looking for? But his life, Jesus' life, looked nothing like what they would have expected. The people of this day were expecting a military leader or a political leader or a legal leader. Uh, they, they thought that's what their savior would be. But Matthew is addressing this doubt boldly and head on at the beginning of this narrative by declaring right up front that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. He is the anointed one. He has the right credentials. And he's sharing this cultivated genealogy that fleshes this out and shows that Jesus is the completion of the story. That's our second point today. Jesus completes the story. It goes on, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Whoa, let's stop right there. Abraham was the father of Isaac. The audience that was originally reading this would have known that Abraham was given his son Isaac by God when he thought he couldn't have any kids. Yet, a little while later, God told Abraham to go up onto a mountain and sacrifice, kill his son Isaac. It's a wild story. And so Abraham, 
this faithful man, he's like, God, I don't know why you're doing this. He's wrestling with him. He says, okay, I'll do it. And he takes his son Isaac, this promise, this gift from God, and they go up on this mountain, and he begins to prepare the altar, and he begins to get everything ready. And Isaac says to Abraham, Father, where's the, where's the, where's the lamb we're going to sacrifice? And I, Abraham, I imagine, is just wrecked in this moment. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears at the last minute and provides a sacrifice and says, thank you for your faithfulness. You don't need to sacrifice your son. And out of context... This story seems weird and cruel to us. Why was this the way that God was asking Abraham to prove his faithfulness? It's ridiculous. Like, that's horrible. Why would he do this? But what we see in Jesus is that Abraham and Isaac, this story was pointing towards the coming of Jesus, God's son, who would actually be sacrificed, who would actually go through willingly on his own accord with being killed and taking on the weight and shame and pain of the entire universe, of taking on the punishment that we deserve for our bad deeds and our mistakes, taking it all on himself and being killed as a sacrifice to make up for everybody else, to make up for all of humanity, to make up for the world's brokenness. See, the story of Abraham and Isaac begins to come into clearer focus. It's completed. The fullness of it makes sense when we understand who Jesus is. He completes the story. That's a major theme of this genealogy. Jesus is the answer to the questions in the Old Testament narrative. He completes the story. See, these Jewish people, they had made a covenant with God, which is like this beautiful blend of like a legal contract, and, and, and love, like it's law and love. It's something more personal than a legal contract, but more binding and powerful than simple affection. It's what a Christian marriage is actually meant to be. The Jewish people had a covenant relationship with God, which they kept breaking. They kept abandoning it. They kept falling down, and throughout this whole struggle, through all of history, they see God's love in the midst of disappointment. And, and, and as Matthew is laying out this genealogy, he's evoking this story. He's evoking the brokenness and, and, and the evil that we see in some of these names and some of these people. He's reminding the Israelites of the covenant they had, the covenant that was broken by them, and the continued love and faithfulness of God throughout this breaking of the covenant, ultimately resulting and being completed in Jesus. But we might ask, why does this matter for me? Like, why do I need to know about this? Why should I care about the history of some group of people I'm not even a part of? And it's because Jesus completes the story, but the story actually completes our understanding of Jesus. See, if we really want to know Jesus, if we really want to understand the beauty and depth of the love that he has for us, if we want to even try to attempt to grasp the weight and significance of what he's done for us, then this story of people we might not be that connected to is actually crucial for us building a deep understanding of, the, of our relationship with God. 
the relationship that the God of the whole universe, the God who created us, has with his people. It actually begins to show us who God is, his character, and who we are as people, and how we respond to him. We actually begin to see this, and, and it actually begins to give us a greater sense of who we are and our identity. See, Jesus completes the story of the Israelites, but he also completes your story. He is the answer to your questions. He is the gap and that yearning and longing that can never quite be satisfied inside of us. He completes our story too. And so if we want to truly understand who Jesus is, we need to understand that this story completes our understanding of Jesus. It helps us to better understand our own purpose, identity, and belonging as we better understand the creator who created us. And one thing we can understand about this creator is that Jesus is king. As we move to the next segment, we see Matthew bolstering Jesus' kingly credentials. In this, uh, 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 in this text, uh, when, when we get to David, so we have, it starts with Abraham, goes through Isaac, all this stuff, gets to Jesse, and then we get to David, the king. And then we go through David, the king, begot Solomon, and then it goes through all these other names. And until we get to this guy named Jeconiah, from David to Jeconiah, this whole like second paragraph of, uh, of, of names in this genealogy is all kings. And that's because Matthew really wants to showcase that Jesus is a king. He traces Jesus' genealogy through the line of the Israelite kings uh, 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 to, to kind of like bolster this idea of Jesus' kingship. It's actually a main theme all throughout the book of Matthew that Jesus is king. And the reason Matthew kept uh, uh, saying this over and over again and kind of bolstering Jesus' resume as king, that he is the true and right king, is because he didn't look like a king. He's not what people expected. When he was crucified, they literally put a crown of thorns on him and said, here is the king of the Jews, as a mockery of him, because they couldn't imagine a king who would choose to die. So in writing down this story of Jesus, Matthew emphasizes again and again and again that Jesus is king. He is the rightful ruler, not just of the Israelite people, but of all of creation. It's based on, he, he, he's actually coming to build a kingdom that looks completely different than what anyone expected. It's a kingdom based on sacrifice and service, on love for one another, on pursuing righteousness, not amassing power and lifting ourselves up and bringing attention to ourselves or winning wars. It's a kingdom that you and I are given citizenship in when we make a decision to follow after Jesus, when we make a decision to accept him. We get to be a part of this beautiful countercultural kingdom that flips our human perceptions upside down. And number two, Matthew is highlighting this kingly uh, lineage to show how jacked up the kings of Israel were. Honestly, like you go through these names and they are messed up. Let's just start with David. And I will say right off the top, he's the best one. He's literally the best king in here. That's why I was mentioning earlier, we have David who leads our studio team. We don't have Manasseh because that dude was like very wicked. But David, he was a good king. He was a good guy. He's worth naming your kids after. He's a good dude. But even he actually uh, uh, um, uh, uh, slept with a woman who already had a husband, then had that woman's husband killed. Like, for being a pretty good dude, that's not a great moment. Like, that's not a great thing to do, actually. That's pretty evil. That's pretty horrible. And it just goes downhill from there. Solomon, his son, 
also had some good moments. He was really wise. He wrote a lot of stuff that's in the Old Testament that's really beautiful. But then he also had like 400 wives. Again, not the best look. Not what we're going for here. And we go through and there's all these broken stories of these human kings with terrible characteristics and deep flaws until we get to the end. This guy, Jeconiah, that was so awful that he was cursed so that he would not have children and his, ki- and his kids would, or, or, and that his, his descendants could never be on the throne. But, but wait a second. If Jeconiah is in the genealogy of Jesus, and Jesus is the true king, but Jeconiah can't have anybody on the throne. See, what we're seeing here is that Jesus breaks every curse. In Jesus, we can overcome even the deepest, darkest brokenness of humanity. What we couldn't do on ourselves, rule ourselves justly, satisfy every need, be the perfect political leaders. What, what we couldn't do on our own, Jesus can do. He can fulfill every promise and he can break any curse. He is the true king. He's overcome all of our past mistakes. And that's my next point. Jesus makes up for every mistake. See, all throughout this genealogy, we see sin, brokenness, and desperation. Murderous kings, cheating spouses, prostitution, cruelty, injustice. This is a jacked up family tree full of so much hurt and disappointment. And I want to speak to you today, if you're somebody who has your own jacked up family tree, if you have your own pain and hurt and trauma in your past and in the past of your family, I want to encourage you that Jesus makes up for every mistake. Whatever is in our family tree, our personal histories, our own past mistakes is made up for by by Jesus' death on a tree so that he could bring us life when he rose again. We all have a past, but in Jesus, we are made whole. And the invitation to claim a new king, to be a part of the kingdom, to receive forgiveness and love, to have our mistakes overcome is available to everyone. Because Jesus is for everyone. This is my last point. There are five women mentioned in this genealogy, which would have been highly unusual in this culture. These things were usually attracted to men. We have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, then Mary. And there's a startling inclusion of these women, especially the four leading up to Mary. See, Matthew, through their inclusion, is showing his audience that this hope in Jesus is for everyone. First and most obviously because they're women, and that would have been incredibly counterculture. He's breaking down this gender barrier, but also because of their stories. Tamar slept with her father-in-law by pretending to be a prostitute in order to save her own skin. Rahab was a prostitute and possibly even a madam running like a brothel who ended up helping the Israelite people and converting to follow God. There's another mention of Bathsheba, but she's not even called Bathsheba. She's called the wife of your, the one who was the wife of Uriah which is highlighting the fact that she had a baby with David, even though she was supposed to be the wife of Uriah. See, in this genealogy, we see a deep level of brokenness. 
and especially in the inclusion of these women, we see that Jesus is for everyone. But it's not just based on their gender. It's not just breaking down barriers based on their story and their past mistakes, but it's actually breaking down barriers based on their ethnicity. See, the audience that Matthew is writing to were Israelite people, and they saw these promises for Abraham and David as specifically for them, as for the Israelite people. And Matthew is expanding their vision to show that, hey, the promises of God are for everyone. See, each of these women was a non-Israelite. They weren't ethnic Jews. They weren't Hebrew people. And that's actually the biggest point that Matthew is trying to make in their inclusion that Jesus is for everyone, that what was one family story, the Israelite family, is now actually about a new family, the family of God. And this is why we can find hope, knowing that we get to be a part of this family, no matter our gender, no matter our story, no matter our ethnicity, no matter who we are or where we come from, we are invited to be a part of this holy family, of God's family, to claim our identity as sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. There's a guy named Eric H. Erickson. He's the one who pioneered this idea of an identity crisis and, and did a lot of writing on identity. And a lot of his different theories and stuff have been like built upon and disproven and shaped and changed over the years. Uh, he was writing quite a while ago, but he's this psychologist and his ideas around identity have really stuck uh, both in psychology and in our culture. And one quote that he had, he said, in the social jungle of human existence, there is no feeling of being alive without a sense of identity. I think a lot of us can relate to this. We relate to the feeling of being lost in a social jungle, of being desperate for identity. We desire so badly to know who we are. And this is why the genealogy of Jesus, why this text is so important. Because Matthew is showing us that in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, we are being welcomed into the family. We're being given an identity as sons and daughters of our God and creator. This is so important because if we think about it logically, if God created us, if he's behind everything, then he is the only one that can know who we truly are, who we are truly meant to be, what our true identity, our true purpose, our true calling is. And I want to encourage you today that he has created you with a purpose. He has created you with a calling. You are here on earth for a reason. God has hand crafted you. He's given you an identity and you can claim that identity by claiming your sonship or daughtership under him. Saying that God is my father. Jesus is my king. I get to be welcomed into this beautiful family. I can move away from insecurity. I can move away from worry. I can move away from doubt. I don't have to be wondering who I am or, or trying to satisfy this longing and yearning in my heart by claiming all these different things in the world, by seeking after all these short-term satisfactions, but I can actually find true hope, true peace, true identity in Jesus. That's what we're seeing in this text. That's what's happening in this genealogy. It's not just a bunch of dead people. It's not just a list of names, but it's actually a story telling us of the promises of God, the brokenness of humanity, and the hope that each and every one of us has in Jesus. If you're here today and you want to be a citizen of this kingdom, a kingdom that is full of justice, 
true justice and beauty, a kingdom that rights all the wrongs and brokenness and evil we see in the world. If you are here today and you want to be a part of this family, You've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but you're like, I want to claim my identity. I want to be welcomed in as a son or a daughter of God. I just want to give you an opportunity to do so right now. So if you're tuning in uh, uh, in Elmira right now, uh, if you're tuning in, uh, uh, you know, someplace where you're like maybe at like one of our locals plus, you're doing a little watch party together. Uh, I just want to encourage you, if you want to make this decision to follow Jesus, I want everybody in those places to close their eyes and bow their heads so this can be a private decision. I just want to encourage you to lift up your hand. There's nothing special that happens in the raising of the hand. It's just an outward declaration of a decision you're making inwardly that I am going to follow after Jesus. I believe that he died and he rose again, and in doing so, he took on the punishment that I deserve, and I want to follow after him. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to understand all the details, but you can make that decision today to follow him. If you're here and you're, you're tuning in online, you're tuning in in your living room, in your bedroom, in your car, wherever, and you're making this decision, and you're tuning in live, I just want to encourage you, go uh, in the chat right now. There's a button that said, I, I, I want to raise my hand to make a decision to follow Jesus. Go click that button right now. If you're tuning in on YouTube On Demand, you can just raise your hand wherever you are or just make that decision in your heart. I just want to pray for you if you've made that decision today. God, I just thank you for the love that you have for us, for just the power in who you are, Lord Jesus, the fact that you came and you suffered so that we might be saved. I just pray right now for every single person making this decision, Lord God, that you would just provide them the resources, the support, uh, the mentors in their life, Lord God, to live this out, to walk it out, Lord God. I just pray that they would know that they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to have this whole walk figured out, Lord God, uh, but that they can actually just find rest and peace in you right now. Lord God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would just give them a sense of peace in this moment, and that they would just be excited for this new journey with you. In your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're here today and you just want to re-embrace your identity as a child of God, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. To be honest, this is something we need to do daily. Something we need to just choose when we wake up to say, God, I want to remind myself, steep myself in your story. I want to remember who you are. I want to remember your sacrifice for me. I want to remember the whole narrative arc of history that I'm a part of, that I'm a part of this story, that you complete my story, that I am your child. Something we got to do every day. But I just want to offer right now that maybe today, maybe this morning, or whenever you're watching this on demand, it's just a moment for you to reconnect with that identity. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you haven't been steeped in it. You haven't been resting in that. You've been striving, trying to do life out of your own ability and your own power. You've been trying to follow Jesus by your own discipline and by your own sheer force of will, your own effort all alone. Maybe you've been trying to follow Jesus, but you keep going other places for satisfaction. You keep going to pornography. You keep going to fast food. You keep going to alcohol. You keep going to toxic relationships. You keep going to politics to try and find hope and security. And you just need in this moment to accept Jesus as King, to accept God as your Father, to know that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you are part of a family, and to be reminded of that today. If that's you, 
And honestly, that's me. I just need this reminder. I just want to take a minute and we're just going to pray together. So wherever you are, maybe you need to raise your hands in this moment. Maybe you need to stretch them out. Maybe you need to close them together. Maybe you need to hold them out in a position of receiving. Whatever it looks like for you, I just want you to get yourself physically and mentally and spiritually prepared to just accept this identity as a child of God that God has for you as you pray. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the love that you have for us. I thank you, Lord God, that you care so much about each and every one of us, that we don't have to strive, we don't have to struggle, because you strove, you struggled, you suffered for us, Lord God. I just pray right now that as we gather together online, Lord, that, uh, that you would just give us a new, fresh understanding of who you are, that you would just speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us right now in this moment, Lord God, and we would know that, you, that we are your children, that you love us, that you care about us, that the little voices whispering in air saying we're not enough, that we don't have to listen to those because in you we are enough. You've made us enough by your own effort. We accept this identity as your children, even though we don't deserve it, Lord God. We thank you for your love for us. We pray that you be with us. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.